the first three or four weeks, they are so gung-ho <laughs> diving into it. They're like, I accomplished all this and I actually did some more and the optional workouts, I completed those too. Give it a few months and see what happens. Yeah, this training will bring you to your knees. Yeah, life, life happens every day and training is going to continually increase in intensity and volume. So you want to be prepared for that. So I think right from the start, you need to be okay with having a routine, but also being okay with falling off that routine and how you act in that moment of falling off that routine. And I think that's going to set you up for success down the road. Welcome back, everyone. Episode 42 of the YTP. We are coming to you today with our monthly show, Ask the YTs, where we answer your questions. Yes, your questions. So if you don't send them in, we don't have anything to talk about. But we have some great questions. You guys are awesome. You have been sending us a ton of questions, and we love it. So we're going to address a few of those today. And I've got the beach with me. Hey, beach. Hey, babe. Hey, babe. What's up? And Veej is our head triathlete at Yogi Triathlete. So he is our triathlon and run coach. Super awesome. He is my coach. And what are you training for right now? I'm training what am for I coaching my... you for? Yeah. So you're training me for, I'm putting you to the test a little bit yeah. because I am I am no Carl Lewis. Okay. Is that his name? <laughs> a track star? Yeah. Yeah. That was I'm, Carl Lewis. <laughs> I, that is not me. Um, maybe I will be after... Um, after experiencing your coaching in this lifetime, but I am no Carl Lewis. So you're training me for my first 50K, which is really interesting because not only am I training for my first ultra, I am working with a sports medicine doctor here in Solana Beach, who I swear she is one of the reasons we were brought out here. If you're hearing the racket in the background, <laughs> it's Clark. He just got back from his walk and... And he's got two toys. He's, just, he's got a greenie and a blue ball, and he's found both of them, and they seem yeah. to be occupying. And there's nothing. I, <laughs> and there's nothing I can do about it. So, um, anyway, that's just Clark. He'll settle down here soon. Anyway, he's just pure joy and presence. And there's no better teacher than a dog. But yeah, so I've been working with the sports medicine doctor because I've just I've created some patterns in my body which I have reinforced thinking that, um, you know, maybe it was a little structural, but I'm finding out now that it's muscular and we're just kind of undoing some patterns. So not only am I undoing patterns in my body, training for the longest, right, you know, longest run I've ever done. I'm also like repatterning my biomechanics. So I'm working with them to really work on like hip extension because essentially my glutes have been asleep when I run. And this is what I'm finding out. And I, and I knew that I've known for a while that there's that I haven't been activating back there. And, you know, sometimes you just need to reach out for help. So these people are amazing. It's Action Performance down in Solana Beach. They are fabulous. Dr. Don Liu, she is a freaking ninja. I was begging for the mercy of God in my first session <laughs> with her. However, I was practicing mindfulness. I remember just laying on that table as she was absolutely shredding my sartorius muscle and just saying, this is just sensation until I label it. So... Not only am I repatterning my run, and I am training for my longest run, now it's on trails. Like, I'm off the concrete, and I'm on, like, uneven surfaces. So not only am I putting you to the test with that as a coach, but three weeks after, I'm doing a half Ironman. So we also have to work in my bike and my swim. Right. So how's that going for you as a coach? I love it. I love being going all in, like... 
being aware of what your goals are, because obviously the ultra is your first one. So you're going to have a super, super strong run base. And super awesome time. And super awesome time. I can't wait. And then we're racing together, which is one of my most favorite things totally. in the world. So we'll be doing Ironman 70.3 in Santa Rosa. And yeah, I, I, I think it's a challenge because I haven't done that back-to-back in three weeks. But it's also, it just flows so well. Like your run base is going to be so strong. And then you, you're you're such a strong swimmer to begin with. It's just working in these fine, these bike rides where you're getting enough intensity and enough strength um, experience because the endurance that you're picking up from the running is definitely going to carry over. Yeah. So being able to do a six-hour half Ironman, you can have no problem because the race in Mendocino is going to be about that anyway. It's going to be how long your day is. And so. plus, we all know that when it comes down to race day. It's 90% mental, if not 100%. Yeah, and you've got that. I got that thing on point. I got it locked down. No, and I only have it locked down or on point moment to moment. Right, because you're doing the work now. I'm doing the work, people. I'm doing the work, and we're going to talk about that today, I'm sure. You got to do the work. Nobody else is responsible for your successes or your failures or your discontentment or your contentment in this life except for you. And you're not going to show up on race day and say, oh yeah, I'm going to have the mindset, I'm going to do my mantra, and then I'm going to be... I'm going to be, have a great day. Oh, I'm so fired up. I you think need that to do has, the work before you get to race day. Yeah, not to get too far in the future, but what I'm envisioning, because uh, visualization is so important. I mean, science has backed this, that when you see yourself doing something, you have a greater chance of success at doing that thing. Um, where the mindfulness piece comes in and where we really come in on that is how you get so attached to that vision that you can't, there's no flexibility. And Siri Lindley, we talked about that in our podcast with Siri. It was so awesome when she talked about the Olympic trials and how she had visualized to a T, but she had no flexibility and not having that flexibility was the absolute disaster um, for that race. And what comes up again and again, and we just had a conversation the other night with, with someone about the same thing. You need to have the visualization, you need to have the goal, and you need to work towards that goal, but then you need to detach yeah. from, from the results and the expectations because that is where you were just explaining to me where it becomes work and the flow doesn't happen. Yeah, yeah. It becomes so, work. So think about that, people. Think about your goals. Think about all this energy you're putting into that race day, but also let go of it. And I know that's it's counterbalanced, but... You know, working working with us, working with Jess and the mindfulness piece can certainly open up those avenues for you. Yeah, so what I'm visualizing, when I am visualizing for that race is just like a lot of fun. I think it's going to be the most no-pressure race. So, um, you know, I work with a teacher on all this stuff as well. And one of the things I don't think we mentioned is that Every athlete that works with us gets an hour with me every month. So we either do, it's like whatever they want to do. We either do, we just talk about mindfulness and how to be more mindful in their life or what they're dealing with. It's funny because rarely when we have those sessions, are we talking about athleticism, right? We're talking about the things in life, but we do mindfulness. Some of them want to learn how to meditate. So I'll teach meditation or, uh, which I think is so awesome. Um, we'll do yoga. So we do virtual yoga. And that's just a value add uh, for getting to work with BJ. But this is not a commercial for Yogi Triathlete. So let's get on with the show. Okay. Who do we got first? We've got Patrick. Patrick. Hey, guys. Hope California is treating you well. A couple of questions from a newbie. If you are already an avid runner, 
okay swimmer and haven't been on a bike for years, how far from a full Ironman, how far out from a full Ironman should you start training? Is it better to switch up your training or try to stick to a routine? And any tips or tricks to remember from your past races? Oh my God, we have a laundry list for that last one. <laughs> I mean, we've been doing this for over 20 years combined. So yeah, we've got a lot of those tips and tricks. A lot of good, a lot of bad. Yeah. yeah. Or just, or, or just neutral be yeah. Okay. Don't so let's it. start with the first one. If you haven't, if you're already an avid runner, okay swimmer and haven't been on a bike for years, how far out from a full Ironman should you start training? So this awesome dude is doing his first Ironman. It's going to be Ironman Louisville and that's in October. Okay. So how far out? And we know that he's an accomplished marathoner. And right now you're eight, you know, you're eight months out. So Right now, I, knowing Patrick and knowing his situation, I, he, you just said it, he's an avid runner. So I would continue just to maintain whatever fitness you have on the run, run you know three to four times easy a week, but really start to develop a routine. Um, the routine is, is the more most important thing. So don't say, well, now I'm going to jump in the pool and start swimming three or four days a week. Why don't you just start swimming a day or two? A week and so a routine that you can build upon yeah like start getting used to it because you're not you're not used to getting into the pool twice a week you're not used to biking three times a week so how far out should someone start you know i think six week uh six months is plenty of time for your uh, first you, one yeah. for your first one you don't want to burn out and this is what i've seen over and over again read about come in contact with is is the first three or four weeks they are so gung-ho <laughs> diving into it they're like i accomplished all this and i actually did some more and the optional workouts i completed those two give it a few months and see what happens yeah this training will bring you to your knees yeah life life happens every day and training is going to continually increase in intensity and volume so you want to be prepared for that so i think right from the start you need to be okay with having a routine but also being okay with falling off that routine and how you act in that moment of falling off that routine. And I think that's going to set you up for success down the road. So how early, you know, six months, I think is solid for, for full Ironman. And he mentions he hasn't been on the bike for a long time. So that's where you're going to spend the most part of your day, right? Six, uh, yeah, seven, absolutely. eight hours. So I think you really want to get comfortable on the bike. And in order to do that, you need to spend time on the bike would you say even right now as he's still kind of running like just get on the bike like even if it's one of the things i love is spinning before i go out and run so doing some mm -hmm. spin workout just like easy like just getting the legs and getting comfortable on the bike and seeing like okay is this bike working for me like working that stuff out now would you say that that's a good idea yeah it's extremely important i think running he's a runner so running off the bike is a completely different oh yeah scenario so the more you can do that, it will also dial in how you're fitting on the bike. So you jump on your bike and you ride for an hour and then you go for a run. You may not feel so great and it could be because of your fitness, but it could also be because of your bike fit and the way that you are positioned because you want to give yourself the, the most opportunity to have your best run. Yeah. So like, don't wait to start dialing this stuff in to when you're in like the height of training. Like, yeah. Get on the bike now. If you I would say get on the bike. Been on it. Get on it. Yeah. Get. I would say get on it at least three times a week. Get I on would... that hog. <laughs> Ride it. And 
on the weekend, start start the, incorporating a longer bike. Like you're gonna be sitting in that saddle. Make sure you it's the saddle's comfortable. You're gonna find out soon enough how comfortable that thing is to be in. You know, in a long ride, should start at about an hour. See how long uh, how long it feels or how it feels to get outside and ride on rolly terrain. Um, and it's gonna be great because he's right. He lives in Louisville, so he'll be able to get on the course. Although. It's a little dicey. It's a little dicey. I can but we speak love from personal we love, um, we love trainer rides. Trainer rides are suit. I mean, if you look at Andy Potts, yeah. Andy Potts is on that trainer. I mean, does he even ride outside except for race day? But I, th- I also think the motion of getting yeah. outside, you're up and down, and then you're standing, and then you're back down. There's a lot of fidgeting because you're on a. So you've course. done this course, so you can really speak to that as he continues to build into his training about you know your experiences on that on the bike yeah it's definitely not a flat course no it's not flat at all that is such a myth yeah maybe we made that up yeah it's not um what else do we have yeah i think that's good okay is it better to switch up your training or try and stick to a routine so you kind of already covered this a little bit and i think it's the same concept that we were just talking about with visualization like visualize yourself and then don't don't hold that vision with inflexibility like stick yeah get a routine going i the one of the things that's so amazing about endurance athletes is that we've got this natural born discipline. Routines are, are fabulous, but you have to, you have to be flexible. The importance of a routine is because the training for an Ironman is so much. So if you wake up every day and just wait to see where the wind blows and what you're going to do, then that's not a recipe for success. So have a routine as best you can, but you got to listen to your body because some days you're going to need to stay in bed. And get rest. For sure. Because that workout's going to be crap. Mm-hmm. And crap workouts are not going to build um, a strong race. And that's a strong benefit of a routine is it'll get you out of bed. Like if you're swimming Tuesday and Fridays, that's the only days you're going to swim. And swimming's a struggling point for you. Every Tuesday and Friday, you're committed to it. The night night before, you know you're getting up early, you're getting to the, the pool. The bag is by the door. Right. And... and when we talk about detachment, it's when you get to the pool and you're not feeling it, you can detach from the workout from the expectation of swimming 2,500 yards. What if you just got in the pool? We were talking about this today. What if you just got in the pool and swam 100 yards or 200 yards? Like everything counts. Everything counts. There's no judgment as to how much or how little. It's you got up, you got there, you got it done. Yeah. That's the most important thing. Yeah, and he, I mean... He's just going to be stepping into the unknown constantly because he's going to be pushing his body like he's never pushed it before. He's going to be going longer than he's ever gone before. So the importance of listening, really tuning in to the talk in your head, to the feelings in your body, and finding the balance of riding that edge because you have to ride the edge. You can't go into the pool and be like, oh, I'm not feeling it. You know what I mean? You... If you don't want to do the workout, go do the workout. If you're like, if you're sick and you're dragging yourself or you're like injured and you're like, I got to do the workout, you know, that's not helpful, but you got to, you got to ride that edge. It's, that's how we get stronger mentally and physically to prepare for this Ironman. Ironman, I think is a word that gets thrown around so much and, um, it's hard. And we see that with first timers that we coach, like, 
you were saying you don't want to burn out. We see it all the time. Like they're gung ho. Like I'm going to do all the extra workouts. They're doing all the extra credit work. And then it comes to like eight weeks out and they're just like hating every pedal stroke of the bike. They're, they are every sacrifice that they're making, like all of a sudden they want to like go to all the baptisms that they can't go to, right? Like right. all like the, the family, Excuses. all the things that they would be like, oh my God, I got to go to a baptism on Sunday afternoon. You know, all of a sudden they're like, I can't go to the baptism. So it's like, you got to just ride that edge and you got to find balance. And this is your own journey. And that's why it's a journey. But it's not about the finish line. It's about every moment leading up to the finish line. And there's victories every single day. And that's... That's the consistency piece of this, the consistency mm-hmm. piece. Continually get out every day and do something mm-hmm. when you can. Like Jess just talked about being sick. Yeah, don't do it when you're sick. Obviously, your body's distressed. But every day, get out and do something. It doesn't, pushing you towards your goal, no matter what that is. Yeah. And what I was talking about with, with this, you know, getting to the pool and it not jiving is like today, like I was pressed for time. So I had to adjust my set. I still got in this somewhat main part of the set, but I adjusted it on the fly because of the time constraints. So there are ways and be okay with that. Be okay. You still got to the pool. You still got your yardage in. You know, it's a win. Again, another little win. Yeah. Many little wins stacking up. And find your question like, is the way I'm feeling right now, is this workout going to make me stronger or is it going to hurt me? Is it going to hold me back from tomorrow's workout? You know, and sometimes you make the wrong, you make the wrong decision and that's okay. You know, then you learn from that. So, um, I think a routine is great, but don't like, don't put it in concrete with zero flexibility. You know, the other great thing about, um, you know, we've got the discipline and all of that, but we also bring this amazing type A attitude towards endurance sports because, you know, these are the people that can get it done, man. And, um, like there's an inflexibility and I know that cause I've lived that I've lived that rigid life. And, and that's a recipe for, for a lot of discontentment and upset and a lot more work than flow in your training. All right. Any tips or tricks to remember from your past races? Whoa, we have plenty. Yeah, don't wait until the swim start to pick up your timing chip. Confirm the start time of the race. Make sure (laughs) that your shoes aren't too small. Try out your triathlon outfit before you actually use it on race day. Key. Take in liquids on the bike. These are all the things that we've tried and made total mistakes on. Um, if you are caught in a treacherous storm on a technical descent and you think you might die, just surrender into that. It will make it a lot more, uh, a lot less work and a lot more flow. Know the rules, you know, the drafting, swimming, equipment that you can use, you can't use. Never too early to start, uh, finding your nutrition and practicing that. That that's huge. So Patrick, nutrition so don't wait until the week the day before the race start practicing that now you need to know what what works in your body when you go to the pool in the morning you need to know what works for fuel when you're on the ride and then you get to a run you need to know what these things are for you you can do the research and look online and read articles and ask people but you need to really find out what what works uniquely for you and that's just trial and error and you've got 10 months you've got no, you've got eight months from right now to start dialing in your nutrition. That's plenty of time. So don't be hard on yourself, but but give yourself the opportunity to try different things. Like what's going to give you the best fuel 
to to support your workouts yet leave you uh, leave your body with the capability of performing to its best potential. Yeah, yeah, and that's right? an individual. Yeah, and that's an individual. Completely individual. Yeah, it's so individual. That's the thing. This is why. This is why we don't offer like um, pre uh, set plans because everybody is so different and every day is so different and your life is always changing and your body is always changing. So you got to find what works best for you. Um, and then the other thing I would suggest is go back and listen to our Ironman Louisville recap that we recorded with you and Mark, um, two guys that raced BJ, the guy, a guy, (laughs) um, that raced, uh, back in October, October, excuse me. And, um, Check that out and listen into that maybe a couple times because I think there's some nuggets of gold there. All right. Should we move on? Patrick, like stay in touch, dude. We got eight months, man. We're with you every single step of the way. We're super fired up. Yeah, I, I think I did a race recap too, an actual blog post of Louisville and the nutrition I used. I know specifically I did a post about that. So check we back on We did a those. preview too. We drove the course, took pictures oh, yeah, and right. talked about the bike course. Yeah. We did a bike course preview. So yeah. there could be some... Could be some nuggers in there for you, Patrick. So check it out. All right, moving on. All right, Nicolette. So, Jess, thank you for sharing the fact that you've struggled with body image issues and disordered eating. And this was from our last yeah. Ask the YTs podcast, correct? Yeah, we were talking about carbohydrates, not being fearful mm. of carbohydrates. We were, t- we were talking about that. Yeah. So this was in response to that last episode. So however, back to Nicolette, however, I would encourage you not to leave it at that as you said in the podcast, because this is a super pervasive and not talked about issue amongst female athletes and within yoga culture as well. And I think men too. I think men, you know, it could be totally sort men. of an underground topic for them. Uh, it even seems to be affecting the men's side of racing more than ever. Jan Ferdino and Sebastian Keenley looked downright skeletal at Kona this year. It would be great to hear more about your personal struggles and how you have been able to make peace with food and your body. Yeah, so well, how- first, thank you so much for sending this in because I I mean, I think it's, it is a super pervasive, um, it is a super pervasive issue that is not talked about much. And I've alluded to it in several podcasts and blog posts and things like that over the years. So I want to thank you for bringing this up because... It's something that I really want to share about in depth, and I've started writing about it um, in depth as well. Uh, But I haven't really figured out the platform to talk about it. So this is a great entryway into it. So thank you so much, Nicolette. And I also just want to touch upon, um, I know I do remember saying that, like, I'll just leave it at that in the last podcast. And that was just because I wanted to move it along. The questions weren't about body image. So it wasn't that I was trying to you know, close it down. Um, it was more of a, you know, we can talk about it at a later date and you picked up on that note and you brought it to the forefront. So that's fabulous. Um, gosh, I really don't even know where to start. It was definitely like a lifelong journey. Um, and I think a couple of things really weighed in on it. Um, from a very young age, I remember this really clearly. I was labeled as the kid that never cried. And so I somehow really identified with that and made that, owned it and made that a part of my persona that I was strong and that I never cried and that I could move through anything. Um, The problem that happened was because I held so much emotion in 
um, all of that festered inside. And anytime you're not expressive or you're not processing um, things that you're going through, it's going to fester. You know, it's going to fester into some kind of quote unquote disorder. And for me, it was um, definitely a very long battle with an eating disorder um, anorexia. I can't even say anorexia cause this is, this was the thing with anorexia. I tried to starve myself. I tried so hard and then I just loved food too much. Like, and so then what I did was I just beat myself up for like not even be being good enough to be anorexic. Like it was so twisted. So I was like your perfect bulimia girl. And if, when I look back, um, and I don't really have any of these pictures anymore because we got rid of everything. I kept a few, I think, but if you were to look back on pictures of me as I was like junior high and high school, I was very bloated. I had that perfect bulimic body. And what made me so bullshit about being bulimic is that you never really got skinny. So, so what's the purpose? So what, what's the purpose it's, of it it's, then? If you really look at it, it's a control thing. You control what? Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to have some kind of control in my life. Because everything was out of control. My mind was out of control. My thoughts were out of control. So how are you controlling? You're controlling what food goes in your mouth and the quantity of food? Well, that's the thing. There's no control there. So like I would come home from school and I would hammer food like disgusting amounts of food and then throw it all up. Because you wouldn't eat at school. No, I would eat. Oh, okay. Yeah. I wasn't wasn't good at the anorexic (laughs) thing, remember? Yeah. Um... All right, so you came home from school and you would eat. eat. And I would, yeah, I mean, it was, it was all different times. But yeah, I remember like just shoving all this food into my mouth and then throwing it all up. And there's some kind of control there. Um, there's also this like you're not deserving of this food. It's like it's a very it's and I'm going to speak to my own experience. So anybody who is listening to this, I've already said it a couple times on the show. This is your own experience. This is your own journey. And you're going to have to climb your way out on your own. Like you can have support and all of that. But like when it comes down to the work that needs to get done, it's you that has to do it. It was me that had to do it. So I think that one of the big things was that I was stuffing a lot of emotions. Then there was a couple points in my life that were really, really profound. Moments where again, like the, I'm not the girl who cries. I took those comments and I brought them into my persona. And one of them was when I was like in seventh grade, sixth or seventh grade, I was with my girlfriend and we were just like standing in her bathroom and we were like doing our hair and stuff. And she said, you're like a piece of bread. You're really wide from the front, but skinny from the side. And in the, I will never forget looking at myself in the mirror in that moment. And all of a sudden I was like, a foot wider on each side. And I walked around feeling like that's what I was. So if people could see me from the side, then I would look thin. But if they looked at me right on, I would look really wide. And does this friend have influence over you? Like, what is the influence of the feedback that she gave? What's the feedback that she gives you? Like, how do you take that in? It was that part of it? I just took it in and I swallowed it. And And that's the truth. And pretended that nothing else you know, that nothing was happening, but that was something that stayed with me for so long. I made a choice to pull that comment in and make it a part of myself to build myself as a victim. 
And at the time, I didn't know I was a victim. It was much later on in my life that I realized that I had just put myself in this victim stance. I was a victim. I wasn't good enough. I wasn't skinny enough. I wasn't pretty enough. I didn't cry enough, but I didn't know how to cry. Like all of these things. And so you, I became a victim. And so one of the things about the ego, right? And, when, and, and I don't always want to give the ego bad rep because that's not it. Like in doing what I'm doing now in, in, in pursuit of self-realization in this lifetime, it takes a tremendous ego to do that. But I'm directing my ego now to the good of all. Whereas before it was like, poor me, 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 me. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. So the victim, the ego wants to cast you as the victim or the victimizer. And I was both of those things. At I, once. Oh, totally. <laughs> like I was less than or I was okay. better than. I was never just neutral and balanced and content in between. So the, uh, another point was I remember in high school riding home with... Um, these girlfriends, they were twins. Like, didn't everybody have the pretty twins that they grew up with? And, um, and we were in the back of the car and there was a boy in the car and he was dating one of the twins. And he said to me, your sister's so pretty and she has big boobs. What happened to you? And so another one of those defining moments. Another one of those moments where I just shrunk into my victim. You're not good enough. Your body's not good enough. And so what did that, so what did that comment ignite? What what did that that I was just ugly and not good enough and awful and no boy was ever going to like me. So again an external observation that you took in as yeah. the truth. Oh yeah, as the truth. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. that it was true. Right. Yeah, okay, I see where you're going. So those were two big things. Now, a third factor here or a fourth factor here was after school specials. Do you remember those after school specials? Totally, yeah. Okay. They were like Sucker. the eating disorders. Like yeah. the girl had like the food in the closet. And that was supposed to deter you from being, I wanted to be that girl. Right? So as a victim, I wanted attention. I wanted to be loved. I didn't feel like I was being loved. So I would use those after school specials as, okay, what techniques are these guys using? Like I would use them as my how-to guide to be, comp like to be, immersed in body image issues. So that was another thing. And then I went to college and I met my bulimia friend. She lived next door. She did it too. So we did it together. We would cover for each other in the bathrooms. And the whole thing was, um, I never changed my, like if anything, I was heavier, you know, if, if anything, I was carrying around more weight. Like it wasn't, a road to happiness. And it's so interesting to talk about this girl because I'm so different from her now. I feel like I'm talking about a totally different person. But what I'm saying is that I, you know, I talk about this a lot, like everything is energy, right? And we're attracting this and everything that we're doing in a moment is a precursor to what we're manifesting. So like I manifested that girl that was, that lived next to me who would do this with me. I, you know, manifested those comments that people said because I was giving off this feeling of like this energy of I'm unworthy, you know, and, and maybe those people were unworthy and that's why they said things like that, right? Because we want to feel better about ourselves. <clears throat> and then what happened was I manifested myself into a relationship where I no longer had to be my own victimizer, that I was dating somebody who was my victimizer, 
And I really got a good look into what it's like to live the life of a victim. And he wasn't physically abusive, but he was mentally Verbally. disturbed. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'll, I'll speak of one event when I was preparing dinner in our apartment and he walked up behind me and put a butcher knife to my neck. And if you want to know what it feels like to be a victim, that's what it feels like to be a victim. And so I, I remember that moment and in this time period in my life was so awakening and I don't hold any grudges or anything against this person um, at all. There's been full forgiveness there through my own healing But what happened, the beauty of that relationship was like, it was so messed up that the, the, the strength in me, the love in me, the light in me came out even more. Like it was so messed up because I wasn't so busy being my own victimizer. I was being victimized. You know, I was being just mentally tugged around. And I remember a moment standing in the bathroom and I shared a home with this guy and I remember standing in the bathroom and I would do this a lot. I would stand in the bathroom and I would look at my eyes in the mirror, right? They always say that the eyes are the window of the soul and I would stare into my eyes and I would remember like I would feel the tears coming up and I would just be in this like laser focused stare into my eyes and I could always see something deeper in there and then the tears would come out but it was like it was like they were coming out of this shell. They were coming out of like an outfit. They were coming out of like this vehicle that wasn't me. And that was something, that was something I did a lot. And I feel like that was like an, uh, an unintentional, those were unintentional moments of healing for me. Cause I would do that when I was in high school. Like when I really needed to cry, God forbid anybody knew that I could, that I could, I would stand in front of the mirror and I would watch myself cry and I would get really close and I would look at my eyes And I remember that like people would always say that I had beautiful eyes and I would look into those beautiful eyes and I would see something so much deeper than, and so much more powerful and stronger than what it was that I was crying about. Right. So, so now I'm like in my mid, I'm in like my early twenties at this point. And when we were moving to come out here, Beach, I was going through some of my old journals and I pulled out some of the pages because like I said, I want to write about this and there was only a certain amount of things we could take on our trip. (laughs) And I remember looking, I read some of these pages from during this time in my life and I was writing about how I can't believe I'm still, I still have an eating disorder. I'm 24 years old and I still have an eating disorder. And that was right before I met you. And it was like, when I met, when, when our souls came together, my whole life changed. Oh yeah. I mean, it it just progressed. It just launched into the light of what we live in now, but this was not that much, this wasn't that far out from you and I meeting. And so I really felt like I was, oh, this sounds so yoga and stupid, but I really felt like I was like, there was this flower that was blooming and I was like coming out of the center in it and I was just shedding all that crap. So those were things that just kind of like were really potent in my life. Now, that said, I've always been really intuitive. I've always felt a very, very deep power within me, but I never knew how to direct it. So I directed it into um, 
you know, manipulation of myself and others. And I just, I misused my power, right? Now I'm directing it for the good of all. And it just feels so different. So, so different. But then what happened was I went into the healing arts and I became a massage therapist. And I would say that was one of the most amazing things that I ever did. So life transformative. And again, always just following my intuition that's a gift that I've always had. Um, I've got the intellect for sure, but I've always had a very, very strong intuition that for some reason I just trusted. Through it all, I've trusted it. And I went to massage school and I remember I got to massage school and like the first night we, we would do these check-ins and everybody would be like crying in the check-in and I, and I was still in a very non-compassionate phase in my life and I was like... <laughs> I'm going to go through, I vowed like on the first night, I'm going to go through massage school and I'm never going to cry. And I'm pretty sure I achieved that. Maybe I cried once. I don't know. But what happened in massage school was I got to learn about the body. So here's where the intellect comes in. I got to learn about the body and I got to learn about its wisdom and I got to learn about its physiology and how it moves. And I was just getting into triathlon at the time. And I got to see like how I could train my body and what it could allow me to do. And I got to work on other bodies. And so I got this whole new appreciation for the body. And then what else happened um, was that with working on so many bodies, I realized that someone can walk in the door and you could say, oh my God, they're so perfect. Look at their body, it's great. And then when they're on the table and you're working on them and maybe you undrape their leg, you see like a birthmark with hair growing out of it. You know what I mean? Like everybody's got their thing. And it started to level the playing field. Right. Because all you see when people see body images and photos, it's just a physical, visual display of their body in the perfect situation. Tan, right. airbrushed, whatever it is. When in reality, that's just one. And social media is so so good for this because they're only posting the good things, right? So right. you're only seeing the nice things. So it's it's so it's so it's such a violent assault on what is true. Because like you were saying like you take it in as truth. Yeah, who's to say that's the truth? Like right. I know for me, I don't have the perfect body. I know that for a fact, but for me, what I have works for me. Yeah. Right? Mhm. Mm and what you have is amazing and I love it so much. I do too. <laughs> Big fan right here. And um and I honestly do. I absolutely love my body. I'm so so grateful for it. So so massage school was a big life changer for me. And then I was a massage therapist for a long time. And, and I'm certainly not saying that like I used massage to make myself feel better. That's not it. It was like this, um, it was this combination of learning mindfulness. Cause that was really where I started to learn a lot about, um, embodiment and mindfulness and, um, the law of attraction and, you know, and then just learning so much, like studied the body for a decade, um, the muscles, all this stuff, and realize this absolutely amazing thing that we walk around in every day. And I spent 20 something years of my life beating the shit out of it. Like, oh my God. So, you know, forgive yourself and, and move on for that. So the massage was really good. And then, you know, the icing on the cake, the meditation. And what meditation does is just by its nature, it, creates a stillness 
to allow movement. So I have released so much festered, old, stuck energy that was in my body from a very long time ago. And you can, you can tell a lot from your dreams. It was probably, it was, I think it was during our tour over those six months that I went through a phase where I was having all these crazy dreams from high school where I would like, like a boy and he wouldn't like me back. And like, that was the story of my life. I would like a boy and he wouldn't like me back. And it would just like, it would make me, it would make me choose to be a victim more and more and more. And what I realized is that those dreams were telling me like, this stuff's coming up, girlfriend, and you've got a chance to heal it. So I would sit in meditation in the morning after having those crazy dreams and I would just be there. You don't have to do anything in meditation. And the movement just happens. So that's really the icing on the cake was the healing effects of meditation. So, so, so just, I don't want to downplay that, but 20 years ago, you were putting all this stuff inside, you know, holding back, yeah. even in high school. And you can see it in my body. Like I was bigger. I was rounder. I was, So, so now come out now into your late thirties, forties, you're starting to meditate mm-hmm. and you're starting to really unleash all those feelings yeah. that you've been stuffing down for years. So it's not something that it's not a sentence that you can't get out of. So you're not always going to have this stuff. Like you can get out of this. Oh my God. You can meditate. Yeah. Right. And meditation is this opportunity for you to, to have extreme self-discovery. Huge. Right. Yeah. And you know, I think endurance sports doing four Ironmans, like what? Like this body has done four Ironmans and I'm standing here right now, like after just doing, you know, almost three grand in the pool this morning and like this body is freaking amazing. So, you know, that's my story. It's, it's kind of like a a timeline for you guys. I hope it gives you some insight. Um, there's a lot of gory details in there, um, that, you know, we'll, con- we'll continue to unearth and definitely ask more questions about it if you want. I am an open book for sure. But a couple really important things is, um, number one, reminding yourself that this body is amazing and that there is this inherent wisdom that allows us to function on so many levels every second without even having to think about it. Number two, cultivating an attitude of gratitude is everything and not like, oh, I'm so glad I can walk because that guy's in a wheelchair. That's not it. That's ego. That's I'm, you know, I'm this, but that guy's that. Now I feel bad for them. It's, um, oh my God, I've done four Ironmans and look at me like I'm stronger than ever. Like I am 44 years old and uh, I'm doing pretty good here. You know, what you realize too is that the older you get, like your skin is never going to be as taut as, as it was when you were 25, you know, and like, I'm starting to get some gray hairs now, like things are changing. And so I look back and I laugh cause I'm like, oh my God, that girl, she had no wrinkles on her face. And she was so upset, that girl meaning me. And she was so dissatisfied with herself. She had no idea that at, you know, 45, like, you know, things start to change in your body, whatever. So an attitude of gratitude of where you are right now, you know, your body is always changing and, and anything can change in any kind of form, acute in small or drastic and huge. So be gra- grateful for the body that you have because it's freaking amazing. And comparing ourselves to others, you know, I mean, 
sport triathlon is very competitive and going to an Ironman and not having the body of, you know, the person you're looking at in transition. Well, guess what? You don't have their body because that's not who you are. Right. Yeah. That, and yeah, that's such a huge component <laughs> of race of racing the, the, in the triathlon environment. Like everybody is fit. Everybody's at a different level of fitness. Yeah. You don't know their story. This person who is completely jacked and totally ripped, you don't know the struggles that they go through right, on exactly. a daily basis. You don't know what their performance is because I can tell you firsthand, and I know you can too, I have done races and I have passed people that have been extremely you know, fit and ripped mm-hmm. and, and they're walking. But I've also done it on the other way too where people who you don't think can pass you visually looking at them, yeah. they are ahead of you. Yeah. So it, it doesn't, so we always say just triathlon doesn't discriminate, right? Right. So you can have any, you can have any body shape form. I think what the root of all this is, is what's going on up here. What's going yeah. on up top. Right. What is your mental state and your strength and where is your focus and what do you have control over? And what you have control over is this body right here. Your and what own Yeah. And what are you thankful for? You know, like, why do you want to do Ironman? Why do you want to PR at that next race? Why? Not why, but, but why? Why? Why do I want to do this 50K? I want to do it because I'm scared to go run in the woods by myself and I love to face fear. Like, I love to face fear and get to the other side of the wall. I love that because I move my body, it inspires others to move. I love that at almost 45 years old, I can get my butt out of bed and kill it in the pool. I love that you know, I'm going to go run on the trails today and I've got legs to do that. I love looking younger now than I did 10 years ago. I love waking up and being energized. I love the appreciation for food that I have, that I get to eat in such vibrancy and abundance because I expend so many calories, you know, like I love the way that it makes me feel. And I want to take that love and I want to share it with everybody, as many people as I can while I'm here on this earth, you know, and not... I want to do this 50K, but I might be the slowest. I want to do this 50K, yeah, you but, can't have the but I don't have the money to get a backpack. I, you can't have the but. The but is the constant. The but is what's going to keep you in the cycle of suffering. Yeah. Like You want to get out of the cycle, have right. the statement, and, and go with it. And then um, I want to say one more thing for sure. From a spiritual standpoint, we are brought into this physical manifestation in the gender that is most appropriate for our soul's growth. Okay. So me as a female, it's so clear that I need to, I'm here to cultivate my divine feminine because, um, I've had a lot of masculine energy. I came in with a lot of masculine energy. So I see my purpose as a female to really cultivate more of that feminine, to bring my soul into balance. And also understand that the gifts that we bring into the world, like um, I love to write. It's something that comes very easy to me. I've had no, not a lot of formal training in it, um, and I'm here to share it. But it's not something I'm here to overcome. I was brought here to overcome this body image thing. I was here to overcome this victim stance. I was here to overcome this idea that I'm not good enough, right? Like, and to... And, and to realize and to constantly remind myself that I have the energy within me that creates worlds and we all do. Um, and so to compare ourselves with other people or be concerned about other people's 
weight or what, how they look at their race. It's just, it's just deflection of us having to deal with our own stuff. Take a real damn good look at yourself. Are you casting yourself as a victim? Are you widening that neural pathway every day when you're doing the negative self-talk? Stand in front of a mirror and say it out loud and see how crazy it sounds. And what if you changed that conversation? And that takes you know, the warrior mindset because it's hard to change those patterns. But I have to tell you, I'm a living example of somebody who has changed those patterns and I absolutely love my body. And that doesn't mean that when I go out and run sometimes and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to not wear a tank top today. I'm just going to wear my jog bra and my shorts. And I know that these shorts make my belly hang out a little bit, but I'm just going to go run. And sometimes I do that and I'll watch people. And you know what? They're not looking at my belly. They're looking at my eyes and they're saying, hey, great. Go after it. Get it sure? done. They're not looking at their watch. <laughs> well, they might be looking at their watch, but it's like, yeah. you start to realize that all of that is me, 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 me. And I understand I have been in the darkness, like to the depths that, um, you know, are, are pretty, they're, they're pretty much would brought me to my knees, mom, really life defining moments. Like, am I going to stay on this earth or not stay on this earth? And you can climb out of it, but I had to figure out my own way. And that was a series of events of following my intuition, which led me into the healing arts, into health and wellness, and this incredible uh, appreciation that I have for these beautiful bodies that we get to walk around in. And another thing, um, I'm going to just leave you with this, a practice that uh, made me want to puke the first time I did it, my teacher had me do it, was I would recite in my head, I am not my body, I am not my mind. I am not my thoughts. And that was so uncomfortable for me to say. But when I kept saying it, it made me realize like, well, wait a minute. If I'm not those things, I am something else. And what is that? That is the energy that creates worlds. And that's, that's what I am. And that's what you are. And, and that's, that's the question, right? And that's who Nicolette is. And that's who Patrick is. Who am I? Yeah, that's the question, man. When you strip away the other things. Yeah, all the right. labels. I'm an Iron Man. Right. I'm a yogi. Yeah. I'm this and I'm that. But I'm, I'm the exact... Same as you. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I hope that helps. Is that? I mean, I hope I didn't go too nuts on that. No, I think that was great. I think I cried a little bit. <laughs> I saw a tear too. Ooh, it's intense talking about that girl. I don't really remember her, but I do remember her. So, yeah, it's just keeping that book open and attitude of gratitude, people. Journal, journal the heck. Meditate. Yeah, meditate, please. Please meditate. You're going you're gonna to meditate at some lifetime, so I'm, start, I promise you that. I will, I will see you on the causal plane, my <laughs> friends. I will see you on the causal plane. Okay, go on. Oh, wait, what's next? I'll do it. All right, Nicolette, thank you, love. Thank you so much for sending in that beautiful topic um, for us to discover. Okay, Josh. This is from Josh. Hey, Josh. Hi, Josh. <laughs> Thank you so much, Josh. We're, we're, uh, we're lightening the load here a little bit with you. Okay. Uh, this is awesome. J Josh wants to know, this is awesome. I want to know why the six-year-old <laughs> lady is faster than me in the pool. <laughs> I was laughing, so let me read it again. <laughs> I'd like to know why the 60-year-old lady is faster than me in the pool. And I, the pool, because there was an exclamation point there. So there's a lot of um, passion around this 
question statement from Josh. So what's Josh's deal? What's he doing? What's he, do you know what he's training for? Yeah, so Josh, so I know Josh. Hey, Josh, great to hear from you. So he's training for his first half Ironman. And I actually had the pleasure of doing his first Olympic distance triathlon with him a few years back. And now he's, he took some time off and did some running races. And now he's ready to dive back in and he's doing a half Ironman, which he's super fired up about. So he's doing all the right things. He got the bike. He's, you know, looking for advice. He, he reaches out. But I have swam with him before. Uh, and I can, and I understand the concept and I hear it in other terms, maybe not the 60 year old lady, but why is this dude over here? Who's, you know, quite bigger than me flying through the water. Right. Oh my God. Cause like triathlon doesn't swimming doesn't discriminate. No. And what is the 12 year old doing? <laughs> <laughs> the 12 year old swim group, <laughs> three lanes over, they're flying doing mm-hmm. hundreds on the minute. So it's all, it's all relative to swimming is such swimming is such an, uh, unbelievable experience because oh, there's so much to unbundle there. There's so much, and it's a lifelong activity. You can do it your whole life. There's no restrictions like biking, running, uh, these other things, NFL, football. Like they're going to come to an end. But swimming, I believe, you can do it throughout your entire life. And so, getting used to something, getting used to an environment, the water, which is something we don't do a lot of. You know, even if we do swim, we're only in the water four or five hours a week out of how many hours you have during the week. So it's not a comfortable environment. So getting back to the 60-year-old lady. For some. For some. I, I, I love to swim. But you've embraced I came in as the a water. fish. Right. So I jo- was doing laps in the womb, baby. <laughs> I'm not, I mean, you know, it's all relative. Right. I'm not um, Carl Lewis of the pool. No, but you're strong and steady. <laughs> Carl Lewis of the pool. So again, back to our, you know, looking at others in the lanes next to us, you don't know what their training history has been. And they could have been a swimmer all their life. They could have. Yeah. And you never lose that stroke, man. You never do. You can swim from five to 10. I've learned this. You can swim early years, not swim again until you're, you know, after college and you'll still be able to swim. It's just something that some people have and some people don't. And when you get into it early on, you never lose that fitness. However, most triathletes, and I'm generalizing here, but most triathletes don't have a swim background. And they come into the sport of triathlon being able to run because maybe they played soccer or basketball or something active like that. And then learning to ride a bike isn't that hard because you fall off your bike. It's, you know, it's like riding a bike. You learn it again. But I think swimming is the thing that is really challenging. And when we get into it, where we don't have that muscle memory. You know, our bodies are tighter as we get older, where we have more fear. We, we have more knowledge of the water. Whereas when we're younger, we're naive. Like we have all this openness and ability to learn and soak, soak up everything that's out there. So the six-year-old lady, she may, be, she may have been a competitive swimmer in high school and in college. And now she's getting in, she's just swimming her laps and getting fit. Or she just may be one of those people that, you know, the water, like you, like the water becomes very natural for them. They're very comfortable. So that's maybe one reason why she is swimming faster than you. Um, But also, um, I think one of the things that we've learned a lot about swimming is that, yeah, you can muscle through it and you can kick like hack and all of that. But if you don't have the technique, 
you're going to be expending a lot of energy and not going as fast as you possibly can. So maybe she just has a really good technique, you know? And so I'd like to see a video of his swim. Yeah, you know? send us your swim, Josh. Take some video. Take some video, dude. I'd love to do this. Yeah, send it to us. Let's take a look at your stroke and and make some recommendations because what ha- what's the most important part of swimming is your efficiency. Yeah. And a lot of that happens under the water. So... Um, yeah, I'd love to see your stroke. So please, uh, please take some video if you can and send that to us. And, and where's your head too, when you're swimming, right? So, uh, we were doing some sets today where we were doing four times 125. I, this is what my set was four times 125 at 80%, three round, no, four rounds of that. And then I did it three times. And I switched up between snorkel, which is a good thing. We might want to talk about snorkel and buoy and whatever, flippers, whatever. Tools, yeah, pull tools. Um, and it got like monotonous, right? And I could, I actually was starting to think about like, oh, how am I going to talk about Nicolette's question? And what's the right thing to say? And I wanted to make it a good show and all this stuff. And then I was like, whoa, girlfriend, get back here. Because all the only thing that's relevant in your life right now is the stroke that you're in. So bring your awareness to your body. And what I was doing was, and here's where the, the beauty of my knowledge of the musculature and the structure of the body comes in. I was picturing my lat and all the attachment points. And I was trying to feel my lat in its entirety in every stroke and feeling like, okay, wait a minute, but I know my lat is here, but I can't feel that. So let me bring some awareness that, okay, great. Now it's alive. All right. Now let me feel my core. Am I swimming? Do I have a strong core? Or if I don't have a strong core, where am I making up for that? Am I finishing my stroke? Am I doing that acceleration at the end? You know, like we have a great podcast coming up with Enie Jones. Amazing. And she talks about that acceleration at the end. Like, are you finishing your stroke and getting, really getting in and feeling your body? How are you swimming? Are you just like swimming or are you swimming? Like, are you there with the swim? And then length, we always think about swimming long, but not long, like, from your fingertips to your toe tips on the same side, but cross the body. So from the fingertips of your left hand to the toe tips of your right foot, are you long there? And that was one thing that Eni brought to my swimming was like, she said, you're not swimming to your length potential. You're cutting yourself short. And I remember when I got into the pool and we were doing drills with her in Boulder, um, I had to repattern my brain. Like I really felt this repatterning of like, I had to visualize that cross across my body in length and not the same side length that I had been reaching for. Um, and that changed everything. And I feel like, I mean, my times might be pretty similar at this point, but considering the amount of swim training I've done, um, my stroke feels so much more efficient. I'm not expending as much energy in the pool now. So I think technique is big, but think about, so next time you're in the pool, Josh, like, are you feeling that last bit of contact between the very top, the pads of your fingertips and the water. And then when you come out into the air, right? Like that's acute mindfulness right there, body awareness. And then that cross length from one set of um, fingertips over to the other side of your toe tips. Are you long there? So a couple things to take up more space in the water. So you're moving more water with every stroke. But get some video, dude. Yeah, send get it some over. video. It, what, we won't put it on. No, we'll we look at it. We won't send it to national news. <laughs> but we'll look at it and we'll give you some feedback, man. 
So <laughs> capitalizing on Jess's points about, about really being present in the stroke, adding tools, pull to tools or toys that, um, that can really help you dial in your present moment awareness. So it's easy to say, you know, swim this way and try doing this, but you also have to breathe. So when you remove that breathing element, and I'm talking specifically for the, adding a snorkel, the front snorkel, when you remove that breathing element, you can really feel. Oh, it's amazing. Your stroke. I love the snorkel now. Yeah, we we've really embraced it. We I, we used it a while back, a few years ago, um, when we were in Colorado, and I haven't used it since. But we've re reintegrated it into our workouts, and it really can bring you into your stroke, like every bit of your stroke. And you know, these things have a purpose, and when you're training with these toys, you really need to be present and, and utilizing them to their best ability. So when Jess was trying to like, uh, you know, like trying to answer Nicolette's question, she was drifting off, but, but she brought it back and she's really focusing in on her stroke and finishing and, and paying attention to those details. When you remove the breathing, you can do that much more easily. Yeah, it, it takes away another sense. Right. That, you know, f that you don't have to deal with, that and your the, mind doesn't have to worry about. Exactly. Yeah, and then for I the like core, that. like really focusing in on the core, I love putting the pool buoy in and putting the snorkel on because then you don't have to kick and you don't have to breathe. And all you need to do is swim and you're just, you just really hone in on your core and working with the core and this is something i learned from uh, jerry rodriguez at tower 26 which i've been he's got his podcast really really excellent resource he talks about being taught and it's really about pointing your head and pointing your feet in opposite directions and it's not you're not literally doing that but just the thought process of doing that makes you nice and long and it keeps you from being a fish because we don't do well when we swim like fishes like we're like wavering back and forth. But I bet if you take some video of a lot of people pulling, you know, when I was coaching masters, you could see it. Like a lot of people, when they go to stroke, their body is shifting left or right. And it's like a rudder. Yeah. And you want to be as straight as possible. So is your kick really nice and together and gentle, not really furious? And and these are the things we can look at when, when, when we see some video. But I think the key here is to use these toys very specifically for being in the moment and learning about different areas of your stroke. Not the full whole piece, it's like different areas. How is your kick? How is your pull? How is your finish? How is your breathing? Like all yeah. these unique individual points. Not all at once, but right. just one thing at a time. Break it down. And Enie talks about salsa dancing mm -hmm. when you're swimming. So this, you know, there's a lot of different ways that coaches are going to tell you to swim. We've really resonated with the way that Enie teaches. We love it. And she's, um, isn't she's like buds with Jerry Rodriguez? Yeah. Like yep. they kind of use share. her buoy. She's got the Eni buoy. Yeah. And, um, she talks about salsa dancing. So like really wide up top and then those salsa hips. And when you have the snorkel, you can feel that wide reach, wide, long reach with your arms. And then you feel your hips doing the salsa dancing. So, um, I love the snorkel. We have finished snorkels. We'll put a link up mm -hmm. for that in the show notes. So I think that's good. Um, but you know what, Josh, don't worry about the lady because she's not worried about you. She's not, she's not sending questions into a podcast saying, why is the 35 year old guy next to me slower? 
<laughs> right? So it's just ego. She, um, she and you at, their, at your core are the same, and we love it. Okay, one more question from Josh. I do feel like I need to get a more comfortable position on the bike. Can you shed some light on bike fits? Yeah, great, great <laughs> question. So getting a bike fit is probably the most important aspect of, um, of getting your bike dialed in. You know, you can go to the store, you get your bike, you get home, you're like, this is great. Well, you're going to be riding this bike for a long time and you want to be comfortable on it. So I always recommend, hands down, go get a professional bike fit. Yeah, don't even think another thing about it. It's, again, it's unique to you. Like your fit is so unique, like your hip angle, your, the length of your left leg versus your right leg, uh, your running capability off the bike, you know, that dictates a lot of how arrow or how non-arrow you should be. And th it could be a gradual process. When you get into triathlon, you know, I first started on a road bike that was had TT bars on it. And then I transitioned to a triathlon bike, which was more upright and had a limited arrow angle. And now I'm like super arrow. So it's taken me 10, 12 years to get to this point because I did not want to sacrifice my running ability. And I think that's a key component of getting a bike fit. So my advice to you, Josh, is go into, uh, let's see, Rhode Island, you know, go see TT Bike Fit, uh, go see Todd Kenyon. Yeah, Todd's Warren. awesome. He fit both of us on our bikes back there. And I, my first Ironman, I was on a road bike with TT bars, with a TT setup. And I remember like at a mile 102 riding with this guy and just being like, oh my God, I need to get off this bike. Get me off this bike. And the last three Ironmans I've done, I'm just, I'm as comfortable as I could be. I'm so freaking comfortable. And that, that was a, a saddle change and some compact cranks and different things that I needed to get. And don't let the, like, if you're like, oh, the bike fit's going to be expensive. Listen, dude, you're a triathlete and this whole thing of like spending money, that's never going to end. Okay. But the lifestyle is amazing. Somehow it always works. You just got to let all that move through you. Don't hang on to that. Um, you got to get yourself comfortable. I'll tell you, it makes a huge, yeah, huge you don't wanna, difference. You don't want to be on this bike for three, four hours and be uncomfortable. It's not going to be fun. You want it to be fun. So find the best angle for, for, for you individually. And I want to go back to the actual bike because for those listeners out there who are new to the sport, you know, you can get a road bike and add these arrow bars that you can clip on. And so you're still shifting with the road bike, but you have these arrow bars that you just can get down onto. So it makes you a little more arrow. When we talk about TT bike and TT time trial position, that's more where the cables for your shif shifting are integrated into those drop bars. So more like you see in time trialing. So you're really down low. So there's a difference between road bikes that have clip bars and then a TT bike. And I actually had a Scott road bike that I had. I had the cables wired up into a TT right. setup. So right. you can do anything. You can do anything. We both did our first Ironmans on road bike setups. And... Um, but, uh, you know, once I figured I was going to be in the sport for a while and I, you know, I invested in a, in a bike and I invested in a bike fit and I'm so comfortable on that thing. They're going to be able to tell you where you, where you're pushing the most power, whether that's in the arrow position or in the road position. And that's key to, to you individually. Like what's your background? Were you a weightlifter? Were you a soccer player? You know, do you, where do you have your strengths in your leg? I think that's so key. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and they, they'll capitalize on what you can offer at this moment because your race is this year and you have time to develop the muscles to be in a more aero position, which obviously over the long haul will help you with time because it reduces the time that you're out there, aerodynamics. But right now you want to find out where you can pull your biggest strength. And when you get a professional bike fit, they'll be able to tell you, you know, at this angle, you can really push the watts or the power that you need to push and and then graduate to to something else down the road but i think the key here is to find a fit that is comfortable in a in a fit that allows you to run to your potential yeah and when's his race june oh yeah so get the fit now dude get the fit now and get super comfy on that bike and get your strength based on a fit that's right for you yeah. yeah, so if you're in that Rhode Island area, go to TT Bike Fit, Boulder, go see Ivan at Retool. He's awesome. Yeah, Ivan Ivan really <laughs> so awesome. Ivan was great. He he really adjusted my bike to a Yeah, like really you just went super aggressive in October. Super aggressive. And and we found out that being on the trainer 95% of my rides, I was sitting back on my seat. So he was able to see how I was cycling and it was not what translates to when you're out there on the road on race day. So getting that outside perspective was was really good. So we have Ivan in, in at Retool in Boulder, Todd in Rhode Island. Who else do we have? We haven't experienced people out here. I know Nitro. No, but we could always help you find road. people. Um, so if you're interested about somebody in your area, reach out to us and we can do some research for you. But I, I'm glad you said that about the shifting. So if you find yourself on your saddle shifting back and forth and you're up or down in the arrow bars, if you're shifting around like... You need a bike fit. You need a bike fit. If you're fidgety. If you're fidgety, like you need a bike fit. If you can hang on the edge of that, the nose of your seat, and you can settle into the pads where the pads are right at your elbow and you're, you know, in a nice uh, position that you can hang in for miles, you're good. But if you're shifting around and you're fidgety and you're in pain when you get off or you've got soreness, yeah, you got to do a bike fit. It's worth every penny. Big, big fans. All right. I think Great. that's it. Yeah. Is that it? I think so for this week. I, I love we, that. We touched upon a lot. And- that was great, you guys. Thank you so much for sending in those questions. Let us know if we um, didn't cover something that you wanted to hear because March is coming and we will record another one of these. So, um, you guys, attitude of gratitude, you know, uh, go out there and... Uh, talk to yourself about what it is in your life that is so amazing and beautiful because you could fill books with that stuff every day. I promise you there's so much beauty in your life. And what are you perpetuating? You know, what are you, what is your self-talk? And if it's negative, I want you to look in the mirror and speak it out loud as you watch yourself do it and ask yourself if you would talk like that to your best friend or a stranger on the street. And if you wouldn't do that, then why would you talk to yourself like that? I think that's awesome. Right? And also, if you haven't if you haven't started the path on self-discovery, <laughs> this is... You got to figure out who the hell you are. You got to figure out who you are. And this is such an epic time in our world right now. There is so much energy, positive and negative and neutral, happening right now. This is the perfect opportunity to do some self-reflection and find out what drives you what motivates you and and deep down what is driving the decisions that you make self-discovery it's it's 
it's time. And that's how you become awake and ready in this life, you guys. Awake and ready for everything that is coming. And oh yeah, Beach, we're going to be posting up some awesome awake and ready tanks and teas that are going to be on sale on the for pre-order for just a limited amount of time. So we're going to put a link up for that in the show notes. And um, get your awake and ready tea, you guys. Come on, we're not here to sleep. We are here to take it on. Yeah? Yeah. All right, ride the high vibe, people. <laughs> <laughs>